Welcome to No Cartridge After Dark. Um, I'm here with Olivia. Hi. And a very special guest, Brendan from uh, a band that I hadn't thought about in a long time, but actually am really happy I'm thinking about again after listening to your new stuff. Uh, Brendan from Weedus. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It's cool. Um, so uh, let me get it out of the way first. First off, people know you, and you actually, I, I noticed this in the, the Weedus Patreon. Uh, you guys have a Patreon, too, which people should subscribe to. Um, but I noticed this in, in your bio. You you sort of note that people know you best for, for Teenage Dirtbag, which is um, a song that I, I certainly grew up with quite a bit. Um, I, I believe that I, I listened to Iron Maiden more after that song than before, uh, <laughs> yeah. certainly. It's a uh, very interesting. Like, do you do you feel like tied to Iron Maiden in that way? Um, well, the the, the <laughs> impetus for that for them being in the song was quite authentic. One of the first vinyls I ever possessed, I stole from somebody's older brother, and it was um, Power Slave, nineteen eighty three. Nice one. Yeah, perfect. I think that's my favorite Iron Maiden album. Right, and I and it would I, be my favorite to listen to on vinyl for sure. Yeah, I still have that vinyl. Um, it's a little little banged up, but the um. My favorite song on it was The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, um, which is a Coleridge adaptation. And it was not, I, I don't really like Coleridge that much, but I, but the, when I was a kid, this sort of grandiose ridiculousness of this, of this like Mariner tale being, uh, you know, whatever, a nine minute like rock epic or oh, heavy. Massive, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was just kind of blew me away when I was, I guess it was nine years old when I stole that. So, um, and it was so intense because your ears are kind of really fresh and still like, still tender when you're a kid. So it was like this, <laughs> all of this sound, just massive sound. Um, and you know, when we finally got to England in, in the year 2001 and the single had happened, um, we were in this weird lawsuit with our manager at the time and Iron Maiden's manager called up and offered to help us. And oh, wow. Yeah, and so um, oddly, we wound up re-recording one of our songs from the first album uh, as a third single for the for that sort of cycle of music that we were putting out. Uh, and the only studio that was open the weekend that we were able to do it was Abbey Road, and it was the Beatles' room too. Um, <laughs> wow! And Bruce Dickinson rode his uh, road bike down from where he lived um, uh, somewhere uh, east of, of London, I believe. And he, um, or no, rather west of London, I should say. And uh, he sang on it uh, in that room where Sergeant Pepper was made with, uh, I was producing the track and um, it was, took about a week to put it together because we had deconstructed the song and tried to put it back together. And then, um, so it was this moment of just insanity for us. Um, Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. that's incredible and, and then we proceeded to make the worst video ever made for it um, <laughs> no it's a so, great video it's, it, it's such... see, are you one of those people who thinks that it's so bad it's good no i mean i grew up with it like i that was like what did, no not not teenage not teenage jet bag i'm i'm talking about the third single from that record see this is like two oh singles okay i never saw that video yeah good so <laughs> we could do like a uh, a group watch of it during this episode if you wanted you to. <laughs> well, maybe I don't, I'm not sure I could handle that. Uh, I appreciate that. But, um, so the uh, 
it was pitched to me by the director from the original Teenage Dirtbag video. Like he had done that one. So we were like, okay, this guy did okay on this. So let's, you know, cause a major label, everybody has their say. And it's always some kind of like, like, you know, suffering compromise that lasts three months and then they finally decide to do it. And, um, uh, they, uh, this guy who did the dirtbag video had this idea. He pitched to me, he's like, I want to do, uh, uh, brother from another planet is directed by Stanley Kubrick. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. What are, you know, sounds perfect. Yeah, it sounded perfect. That pitch. Well, knowing what I just said, go ahead. One and we're done with this and watch that video and tell me if you think that they got there. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> Knowing myself, yeah, like I think I'll probably like it because I just, uh, it sounds up my alley. (laughs) Oh man, it's a mess. It's such a mess. I mean, it's it's problematic in so many ways and it's messy and like, you know, we were, we we did our shots as part of this, uh, like on a spacecraft and, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and it didn't, like the other stuff that wound up in it was I, when I watched it, finally, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> you know, just like just the wind out of your sails. And it's like, this cost how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this. Wow. Wow. That's easy. That's easy to make that mistake. Isn't it? And you know, you just like, that was the, that was the major label, like learning lesson of all time. Like, Oh God, like this is like, you know, did I even say yes to this? I guess I did. You know, right. um, so you know, but whatever. We're alive and and we've been independent since then, and it's kind of okay. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say you're you're not on a label now, right? Like you're 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 fully independent. Is that right? Yeah, we haven't we haven't been on a label since about two thousand and three, uh, when Sony released us. How does that? Um, how does that? How is that working for you? You seem to really be super like positive about it. I am so glad we did it and i think we're really lucky um it was this weird thing that happened where the we delivered our second album after the first one was did okay it did actually quite well it was platinum in a few territories and um as that at the time that for a record that i I made that record in my mom's basement you know (laughs) and um so it cost nothing and it did well and i thought that that meant that we were kind of good maybe and sure I was wrong about that. Um, they they didn't want to put it out. Our second album, they were like, no, you know, no release in the States. We're not paying for any TV, no promotion, no wow. tour, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and at the end of that, they were like, you know, it's a big, long conversation about how they weren't doing stuff. And they, they asked me what I thought of all that. And I sort of naively just said, well, I guess I kind of got to get my day job back. So, you know, since this is over now, cause it kind of sounds like it's over and they got pissed. They were like, well, if you have that kind of an attitude, you can take your goddamn record and you can get out of here. Whoa. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so we left. Why'd they get so you know? mad at that? I think, I think I really missed a lot of the cues, to be honest. Like it was um, very old school music industry. You have to remember this is like pre-YouTube, pre-iTunes. Um, this was pre-MySpace. Wow. So... I think that they were saying, I think that this was the, the, the pantomime for get the artist to make another album on his contract that he's not going to get paid for mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So 
Um, <clears throat> so I missed that and just spoke like what my, con- what my worry was, you know, like, Oh shit, you know, I gotta get a job. Like again, go back to w- w- working on computers. And, um, then they, then that kind of triggered their sort of like, show me who's boss vibes. Yeah. And, and it wound up that they said something that, that we could, we could, um, we could leave based on. Huh. So we got the masters for our second album back and we were independent from 2004 or so onward. And we never signed another deal cause everything got really messy right around that time. It was like all the major labels kind of started falling apart. A lot of the bands that we had, uh, of like the class of 2000 or whatever bands, you know, we, they were getting held up and not having their records released and having a hard time. And then there was this sort of like rock music took this weird turn into like, um, really heavy, uh, well, I like heavy music. I shouldn't say that, but like really like kind of shitty, like, <laughs> like potent new, new rock, you know, like with, with NU with an umklaut rock. I have to work to our next, our next <laughs> guest is uh, Papa Roach. Um, just, just kidding. Uh. <laughs> I, I, so the, like when I was growing up, I liked, I liked a lot of really heavy music. I love the Metallica record and justice for all. It's like a, like mid eighties, like anti Reagan political masterpiece, oh, yeah, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I also was just as into the talking heads and prints. So I had like really eclectic tastes as a, as a kid. And, you know, it was hard to square those tastes with like the trends and music on major labels when we were part of it, mm, you know, that makes sense. So it was just kind of like, it was, the fit was really wrong. That was what was going on. And we just became independent. We were only on a major label for our first record. Then we were off. Cool. So, yeah, it was easy enough. That's neat. Yeah, so I'm I, glad that's going well for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's um, it's a lot of work. Like, you find yourself, like, changing the battery of your trailer. <laughs> like, when I started this, I didn't know trailers had batteries. And, you know, in the middle of the night, like, you're wearing a garbage bag in the snow underneath your trailer. And you're changing the battery in Wyoming somewhere. And that's, like... If you can't do that, don't be in a band, you know? I was just thinking that tonight, whenever I was, like, driving back through Texas, it was like, if I got a flat tire right now, I think I'd honestly just rather die than, like, have to figure out what I would do. Basically the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just like... I think, yeah, that would uh, be looking up for me. Like, I was just, like, seeing someone, like, change their tire on the side of the road, and I was like, I think I'd rather be dead. I, I, I couldn't do it. Were you traveling alone? Yeah, I was traveling alone. Oh man. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess it's better in a band. You always have like, we always have like eight people in the van. So, um, yeah, that's, that's tough. I feel like the, like that's those, tough. those times, like when you, when you really like screw up or end up in a weird situation, I, I, I'll, I'll be it like this mostly happened to me in a band too. But like, I remember when, when I was in, uh, the band I was in, in high school, um, we did a show in like, just like across the state. And uh, like while we were there, it just started snowing super hard. And so basically we just had to decide, okay, we're going to have to sleep in someone's apartment, uh, find the apartment and then uh, make it home without like going right off the road. Um, And that's when I learned that uh, if you weigh down a minivan with uh, amps, it is less likely to uh, go out of control if you go off the road. A little bit, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, but the problem is if it actually does go out of control, you're so much more fucked. No, that's true. Um, 
But it was like it was like that was a lesson, and I felt really like I felt kind of powerful. I felt like you know I figured this out. And my friends were there, and that was something. I, I guess like I guess that is better than uh, live if you if you had got on the a, a flat tire and had no one to talk. To. Yeah, yeah. Well, being, that's that's the thing. Like if you're if you're in a band for a long time, like decades, right? I believe that it's impossible to avoid periods of survivalist uh, activity. <laughs> like you kind of have to, <laughs> like be, you just wind up building weird things. Like building, like I build ramps. I find myself building ramps all the time out of like driftwood and shit that like just is lying around. I'm shocked that you're we, not into video games as you say this. <laughs> such a video game thing to say so that's a good segue right there though um sure. yeah totally so can i tell you like i wasn't ever i was into guitar i was not into video games okay i was like really into guitar and guitar amps and pedals and things like that um what's your what's, your, my what's brother, your dream setup for for amps i i just have to ask Oh wow, that's a tough Amp question. Guitar, we don't like, use amps, and I, I I use computers now. I use like a guitar emulation program that's really kind of like complicated, and um, I can morph I can morph it on the fly with like a pair of gas pedals that I have that can dial from like oh. clean acoustic to like full on Marshall stack. You know, that's amazing. Big sound. It's it's fun. It's a company called Sea Lake. They're Italian, and they um they make a thing called a Sea Lake Audio Station, and We've gone through different different companies with this kind of thing that we're doing, but we always wind up being like the beta testers for their for the thing that they're trying to do with analog mm-hmm. processing. So uh, when I say that, I mean, you know, you have a keyboard. A keyboard is always electronic and is producing MIDI sounds for the computer to read. But an analog instrument has to have an audio signal that goes into the computer, gets converted into data gets processed and gets turned back into analog sound out of the digital to analog converter. And that's trickier. That's a bit more like in real time because you're going to get latency and stuff. So we have wound up beta testing all kinds of systems for for companies. And we finally found these guys in Italy who make this box called the Sea Lake Audio Station. And that's our, our guitar and bass sounds are on like a little rack-mounted computer that we control with our phone. Oh, that's cool. So... Yeah, um, I, I haven't carried amplifiers on the road since like 2003 or 2002. I mean, that um, honestly is the dream, not having to lug amps around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, no, I just had to ask because yeah. I, I, I still think I haven't played bass in, I mean, since I was like, I don't know, 18 years old or whatever. No, that's not true. I guess like probably since I was... Uh, um, I don't know what, what what it would have been, but like it, for quite a while, um, you know, like going on fifteen years. But I, uh, I definitely. So it's another life, and it's kind of like another life of bass bass playing. Yeah, exactly. At this like point, I, I played it with my band, and like I played it when I was still doing that a lot, and then there was just really no place for it afterwards, especially because like it's tough to play electric bass on your own. Um, it's not really a solo, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's. That's funny. <laughs> I I don't know why that strikes me as so funny. I, the only person I thought of at that moment was Jaco Pastorius. Oh, well, who, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, but he, I don't think he really, I don't know if he played alone. He seemed to be playing with the spirits and the demons. And, you know. Well, I mean, he was um, also, I mean, Jaco Pastorius is, oh, A, just Jaco Pastorius. It's, it, would be, it would be a rough thing. I remember my parents would, would like, get me, um, oh, uh, 
like the guy the the basis you paid played for Bela Fleck. Um Oh, oh, oh God. Um Yeah. I don't know why I'm forgetting. Oh, name I once knew. <laughs> yeah. Like really, you know, another uh, really good slap bassist. And they'd get me these records and they'd be like, Yeah, like this guy plays bass, and I, you know, obviously could not play bass like that. But uh Yeah. yeah. You know, Did like, you send I, in an application? Hmm. Did you send in an application to Bela Fleck? Yeah. <laughs> try. I, I, I will say it, this is this is this is a perfect after dark segue because it's a ridiculous story that I couldn't tell in the regular podcast. I did once um audition to be in a uh in a choir that backed up uh Celine Dion. Wow. I did Ooh. not get it. Uh I think partially because my dad probably didn't send in the application and I think conveniently forgot that he didn't, so he doesn't have to lie to me and say that he forgot. Um, <laughs> Wait, was were your parents anti music? No, no, they were. Or is that just, just like he's just like me? He's forgetful. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> but no, I sang a ton when I was a kid. But no, I never, I never. Applied. I had this, for a moment. I created this narrative about you that you were denied your music passions when you were a kid, so you went to video. <laughs> oh, how dire! Brutal. And he went into like academia <laughs> instead, like oh, be a professor. <laughs> and then I, then I turned. <laughs> didn't scratch the itch. No, but like when I, when I played bass, I um I just played in a punk band, so like I amps were definitely my thing and i still think sometimes like man it'd be so cool if i could get that ampeg amp that with like the nice preamp like just gets the nice crisp <laughs> um yeah man the svt oh, yeah. oh god yeah. i we we have big jokes about that amp in the band because two two guys who who insisted in the past like we have like local openers and it's always fun, like to see what the what the local scene is like ha- having um, at the moment. But just two times, there were these guys who the same kind of guy who was like, "I ha- I have to play my SVT." Um, you know, it's the 1969 original, and it's like they're you know kind of like their parents bought it for them. You know, it's a classic amp. It's very expensive. It's very hard to maintain. It's heavier than like a navy a amp, you know, right? destroyer. Yeah, it's tube amp. It's like you know, it's, it's a relic, and they sound gorgeous if they're in shape. <laughs> um, and both both guys at, on totally different gigs insisted on bringing this humongous thing on the stage that could fill like you could play Shea Stadium, <laughs> and both guys damaged permanently damaged their amps and broke them in different ways the, so on those two different nights. Oh, no. We had so we have this joke about the SVT in the bands like. Oh man, I'm kind of a tune snob, you know. I gotta have my SVT, and like it's, <laughs> it's it's funny to us, I guess, because it happened. But you know, not for everybody. Oh no, did I lose you? Oh no, we lost him. Are you oh, there, man. Liv? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, I will make sure. Let's see. If what did Julian want to do? You wanted to like, I don't know, uh, Julian. Now's your time. <laughs> Yeah, do that thing that you wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, hello. 
I hope he comes back. That was fun. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. We're having a very good time. Uh, We can talk in the meantime. Liv, how are you? I'm good. Hey, can you I'm good. Can you um, uh, my mom is vegetarian. Hey, Julia. <laughs> Boy, hi. Um, Hello? My mom is vegetarian. She's not vegan. Hey, can you guys turn yours off so we're not troubled? We're trying to get through the Hey, I'm back. All right. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> I don't know how I did that or if I did that. Um, anyway, good. <laughs> okay. You did. You're back. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get the full thing. We'll see. Zencaster's weird, but um, I hired a producer, uh, our, our friend Julian, so uh, who's who's very good at this actually, and it's a lovely thing not to have to uh, master my podcast. Um, worth every, worth every penny and more. Um, and this could be his. Oh problem. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good thing. You know who did my uh my uh uh my girlfriend's brother-in-law is the co-host for um Gilbert Gottfried's uh, amazing Colossal podcast. And he oh, cool. he has called me a couple times on like a Sunday night like, "Can you clean this up in pro tools, please?" <laughs> and it's just like like the worst ambient you know sort of like microphone sound (laughs) oh yeah it's so terrible because like especially when you get like i've I've been lucky to have a lot of good guests and you know i'm very lucky to have uh olivia as the co-host on this because her sound is very clean and um easy to produce i think it's easier because you you talk to gamers a lot who already have like headsets and like mics that are ready yeah they already they already spent a thousand dollars on like how they sound on their on their gaming and that's useful but then sometimes they don't like i i had a i had an interview with a with a producer which was a great interview it was fun but he wanted to talk over the phone so the i the only way i could record it was via like a recording app and it was i mean it sounded yeah. like tin cans i basically gave it to julian and, and i was like oh this isn't gonna sound good and then i looked at the file which was like a half hour interview and i think the file was like 14 <laughs> megs and i was like good luck buddy <laughs> This That's incredible. Um, so, 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 what? So, like, wh- where did you guys decide to be video game people in your lives? Like, how did that happen? Oh, oh that's a good question. Well, why don't Why don't you go first, Liv? Okay. Um, I mean, I have two older brothers, and so I was um, like, kind of raised on the Super Nintendo. Like, my first memories, we already had it. And I just would play uh, video games with my brothers like all the time. And so I just kind of like grew up with it. Um, and then like I was just kind of a like a odd kid. And so I just got really into video games and I didn't have like any kids in my neighborhood to play with outside. So it's like just staying with my brothers. And Did you have any games. sisters? I no, I just had okay, two older brothers. So two older brothers uh, in a neighborhood where you were a younger kid on the block or an older kid on the block? I was I was the youngest in my family like I'm the youngest of like all my cousins and everything and then there was oh, there was no kids my age or younger okay. um in my neighborhood. Yeah, so you're like a daydreamer and like off in your own world uh, frequently. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> wow. So insightful. Boy, I didn't know I didn't know we had a, a, a an incisive like uh 
scholar of human human uh, thought. I read a bu- I read some yeah. bullshit book about mediums and the tricks they play on people to get them to think that they understand them. <laughs> and so now you're you doing that bullshit I'm on me. Kidding. I'm just kidding. No, my, my, the, the, the truth I mean, is, is that my you're fitting my sister's description pretty closely. And she and she had two older brothers, one of whom was very into video games, and, the, and myself, I was into guitar. And she was one of the youngest kids on the block, so I like kind of instantly just guessed educatedly um, at, at your at your 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 lot in life. But um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to be presumptuous. I was just being silly. Oh no, that's fine. And I think also no, like you could tell anyone like, oh yeah, you're like a daydreamer. You like having thoughts. Like no one's gonna be like, no, no, I don't have too many thoughts. Like oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so your brother your brother was I'll I'll answer that also, but your brother was into video games. He was the also, one right? in the family who really was uh I think that he played an Atari game like down the block. You know, this was like we're talking maybe nineteen seventy-nine or nineteen eighty. Um mm-hmm. and he's the one who blew it up and was like, Oh, we need to do this, you know, we need to get this. So we had an Atari for a while and um my most vivid memory of that is when we got the ET game. Oh no! Um, yeah, <laughs> the, ga- the game so bad they buried it in a landfill. Correct. We had a copy. Um, my brother, I have this like intense memory of him. He me being so frustrated that he was like kid cursing, like this game's a piece of crap like almost on the verge of tears like he couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it because it can't be done you know i guess i i never played it myself but i watched him go for it and he was like so frustrated just he was enraged with the et video game like throwing the controller on the floor and storming out of the room <laughs> and then storming back in a few minutes later to see if it works <laughs> just just um, the worst bless him for his uh for his persistence yeah yeah that's so interesting to me because like whenever i was a kid i had no like understanding that like uh, something that someone else made could be bad like especially like a video game like i played um superman 64 for like the n64 which is like a notoriously bad game too but i just thought it was like a failure on my part that it didn't make sense or wasn't like it didn't feel good like i didn't realize that people could make no pete wasn't suspicious about the design of the game he he thought he was genuinely losing his mind and his ability to do this thing that he loved like it was a real that was a hell of a trick they played on kids that was fucked up i mean i don't know if it was an intentional like they were trolling like you know seven-year-olds or not but um i can't imagine that they did it like that would be an amazing like multi-million dollar boondoggle that was just a bunch of (laughs) a bunch of devs just like man i hate kids <laughs> but oh, kids like video games. Let's see yeah, how they exactly. like this. But the next, the next wave that I recall of the next console we got in the family was ColecoVision, mm. and that Donkey Kong ColecoVision Donkey Kong was a lot of fun. That was like everybody played it. We also had Turbo, which had the steering wheel joystick, um, like adapter, and you had a little foot pedal for gas. There was like. Uh, you know, my grandmother played that and enjoyed it. You know, um, nice. that one also had Cubert and Frogger. 
Um, I, I'm not sure I'm getting this right, but I have memories about something called jungle hunt perhaps. Sure. I buy um, it. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong about that. And then, uh, then after that, I'm kind of blazing through a little too fast because you have to understand I wasn't really primarily into this. This was a peripheral part of my existence. Well, I'm going to stop you real quick because I learned an interesting fact about ColecoVision. Uh, just yeah. today, a friend, a friend, I, I did a, a solo podcast about like how uh, a lot of video, like a lot of video game stuff, grew up as side projects of other like major companies. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, the ColecoVision, that was um, that was made. That was like the, the sort of side project of a um, a textile firm in uh, in New York State, which I did not know. Wow. Hmm. It was fascinating. Wow. So I bought a ColecoVision on eBay about two years ago for $25. Sounds right. <laughs> what What motivated you to do that? Was it like a like a – an intense moment of nostalgia, like, and you had to do it right then. It came with Zaxxon. And I, I remembered so much about the sound and the odd timing and weird bogus 3D um, perspectives of Zaxxon that you could get wrong very easily. And I remember a couple of times completing like some pretty hefty, um, I guess you would call them screens or, or levels on Zaxxon. And I wanted to see what that hyper-compressed sort of like like space noise that they had on there was. And I was unable to get it to work because it's probably like so broken and old. Um, <laughs> so I gave up. Yeah, I gave up really fast because we had things to do. Um, and it uh, briefly contemplated like trying to get – do you know Math the Band? Yeah. So um, – Kevin Steinhauser is has a uh, basically a, a music synthesizer room built of video games. Wow! Um, among other things, he has cartridge uh, jacked um, a lot of his MIDI synthesizers or his MIDI sequencers, I should say, into he's hacked them into his cartridges, and um, you know. Uh, 8-bit music or whatever, 4-bit music or whatever he's creating at the moment is is interesting and everything, but nobody does what Kevin does. It's so beautiful. It's this like you barely even know that it's that it's video game music that you're hearing. It's just an orchestra of really gorgeous, um, like well-thought-out melody and, and rhythm and stuff. Oh, and I thought wanted to see if he could get his his mitts on the on the zaxxon cartridge and see if he could do it because it had the strangest like alien sounds um but uh it was a failed project so i still have it in the basement somewhere (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean it's good 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 it's in the basement yeah maybe if maybe if we get settled after the tour at christmas time or something i'll i'll see if i'll see if i can figure it out um but um I gave up on it once already, so my hopes are are not high. <laughs> but um, Olivia, what was your like favoriteest of favorite video games to play? Like where where you had to choose a character? Good question. Where I had to choose a character? Yeah. Uh, from like I don't know exactly what you mean. Like a um, like what would be an example? Like like you remember? What are you like I remember, I, I mean, my gener- I think I'm older than you guys, but like Mortal Kombat on this on oh. Genesis, you had to choose who you were. 
Um, we're pretty close and, in that uh, range. Olivia is a little younger than us, so just for just for okay. context sake. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely like modern games that I can think of an answer for. Like, ugh, growing up, though, man, Trevor, do you have an answer for this so I can think? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, growing up, definitely mine was uh, mine was definitely Street Fighter, uh, Street Fighter Two, Street Fighter Two Turbo fighting games. I was obsessed with those, and then later on, I guess uh, Goldeneye. Um, and, oh yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, fair. Any like any game like that, I always um, like. It was so exciting to me whenever games like started to have women in them and like you could choose like a female character mm. and like so any game where I could choose a female character I would um, yeah. yeah like definitely Goldeneye or like sometimes in Goldeneye like I really liked Jaws I was really into Jaws yeah Jaws was um, cool. so he was also he was also then, tell me about Jaws about Jaws and Goldeneye no, I don't. I don't. Oh, the character from the, the yes, okay, from from uh, 007, Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, in the Golden Knight game, he was just like he was taller and just like I watched all, all those movies with my brothers growing up too. Like that's probably one of like the other big memories I have with my brothers is like every Thanksgiving and Christmas, like Spike TV would do like a James Bond marathon, and we would just like watch those like during our whole school breaks together. So like. Goldeneye and that together is kind of like a big family memory. That's so weird. So talk about generations. I f- I always felt like the um, 007 James Bond movies were like the the older kids stuff. Um, I thought I found them sort of boring. They gave me like Sunday afternoon before school feeling kind of like. <laughs> I know that's um, that's a very real feeling. It's like yeah, yeah. they'd call it big mood. Yeah, I guess because it was probably like revitalized with like the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies, which was like uh, in the '90s, like whenever I was growing up. So. Okay, before that, so, it would be uh, more, and that really was kind of like right. Sunday morning. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, yeah, I fell right in between the cracks of like the decades when Bond movies were cool, and the only thing I know about the character Jaws was that he was, I think, he was in a movie called Moonraker. He was. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's that's it. That's my you just heard my James Bond like. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny though that like, there's, like I I did, hadn't seen the film of Goldeneye until I was like an adult. I don't I don't really know why I missed Whoa. it. But like Goldeneye the game was so big. Um, if you grew up even like remotely close to the time that uh, Olivia you and I grew up, like it. I mean, everyone played that game. It was like it was not just a you know oh someone has this on my block or something or like yeah this person like I I played this weird game like it felt like every single person I've ever talked to uh, at the time and then afterward played that game. Um, what year yeah, was, was that like, game out about? Oh, that would have been like ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven sounds right. That's what I was gonna guess. Okay, ninety seven, ninety eight. Um, but it was also like one of the only games like those games that I would play with both of my brothers because my oldest brother is like not nerdy at all like he was very into sports and everything so he played mostly like sports games but then like he would play james bond with like me and my other brother oh, cool. so like i don't know yeah like it's definitely like a a community builder almost no and i've i've heard that i've heard that from people i remember like a buddy of mine would so uh brendan in the game like if you beat levels in a quick enough period of time uh you get uh basically cheats and the cheats are like you can add them onto a level and some of them are cosmetic and some of them are uh you know gives you infinite ammo or whatever and uh 
my buddy Josh got so good at the game that uh, people would pay him. He would take their cartridges and they'd pay him like 25 bucks or whatever. And he'd go and unlock all the cheats. Um, it, it felt like that's amazing. We just had a game shark. <laughs> oh yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta have a guy, but uh, no, I, that's reminding me, that's bringing me thoughts of Mike Tyson's punch out codes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was a thing. I remember that being a huge deal. And, like who, who knew them, who didn't, you know, well, we would what, just have like, we would buy those like physical books of cheat codes too. When we were kids, like, and those were like so treasured to us. And then like whenever we finally had like home internet, like definitely like, looking up those things online and like frantically writing them down. We had them on like printer paper or whatever. One of the, things my, one of the first things <laughs> like, my in a binder. Oh, yeah. One of the first things my stepdad did did to sort of like uh win me over, I think, uh when he and my mom were first married was he went on the internet and looked up uh cheats for the games I was playing and printed them out. And it completely worked yeah, on no, you. Yeah, no, it totally worked. I, I still remember. <laughs> That's kind of sweet. That's kind of like, I can't imagine that that was the f- thing he was like the most interested in. Uh, you That's know, he good. actually, he had a Super Nintendo, but no, he wasn't. I mean, I, I my stepdad's really nice. I, I definitely, Scott's a good guy. Uh, that, that's why he did it. Not because of like, you know, um, yeah, yeah, crass or yeah, he, he was, it wasn't calculated as like, as you're kind of pointing out. That's yeah. cool. That's yeah. Cool. It, it That's was cool. neat. It was, I remember that being like a huge deal though. Like, Whoa, you can get like all these cheats about star Wars shadow of the empire online. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can totally do that. Uh, the reason I asked we, Olivia about what, which, yeah, which I asked person. you, like, what yeah. was your like mortal Kombat character? Like, cause well, you play more, right? Well, I beat, I beat my brother always at, as a Raiden. I could beat anybody mm-hmm. as Raiden. I probably still can. Uh, a few years ago, our merch guy got an emulator and an original controller, a USB controller from Nintendo. And he was like, he was like, you suck at video games. Like, I know you do. And I was like, yes, but I'll destroy you if I'm Raiden every single time. And he was like, you, you're on, pal. Like, he, he thought he had it. And he never won. <laughs> he never beat me once. I killed him every time. All mortality, like like for fatality rather and and like he was almost he reminded me of my brother with the with the <laughs> game. Like, he was like throwing the <laughs> i would walk up to the merch table you know right before the show started and he's got his laptop out and he's playing and he'd be like get the fuck out of here you're not playing with me i'm not playing with you <laughs> and i was like well, what if i'm somebody else he's like maybe maybe you promise to be somebody else and i was like i don't know <laughs> we'll see let's see <laughs> I would pay good money to uh to see you come to uh like a, a video game uh tournament. Like um the one I went to most recently was called Combo Breaker in uh in St. Charles, Illinois, where like it's actually like a really fun place to be. Everyone's really cool. Um, but they play those old games and they'll have tournaments about them. I would I would love to see you just like ruin some people's days as <laughs> i would need i would need if it's a real like an upright stand-up game i would need a little bit of like practice because i think it's because with raiden you have to play the joystick with two hands because you have to tap 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 mm-hmm. you know and then hit a button so it's almost like you're playing the drums on a joystick a little bit i don't think raiden's um, like a particularly easy character to master that's that's pretty good you know uh, it makes sense because I am terrible at other video games. Like I just suck, and I and I don't hang in long enough to get good at it. And I walk away. I don't get frustrated. I just get bored. Sure. And because I because like 
But for whatever reason, whatever coding they did for my weird eyes and hands is with Raiden. I'm just like, I can't make mistakes. It's weird. It's totally weird. <laughs> it would um, be so good. Like just like professional, professional level Mortal Kombat players just getting completely aced by you because you're like a... Like a Rain Man level savant. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, <laughs> the Raiden Rain Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but what? But the other thing that's interesting about choosing characters is um, I don't remember having choices before uh, Mortal Kombat, and it seems like the violent games, the fight games, were um, more concerned with identity that way. Which might make for an interesting like book or something. I don't know. Yeah, like, no, that is interesting. Why? Why, why were people so concerned? Why was it? Why was it a priority to f- build this feature of identity into a game where you kill somebody? What well, was that? And uh, that and racing games. Those were basically the two that you had options in because like, you could also pick in Mario Kart. Um, sure, but Mario Kart's not like realistic, death-defying, human-looking <laughs> stuff, right? In Mario Kart, like the identity isn't built into that game. You have to like carry it over from other games, and like a lot of that is like, yeah. What about like, well, how much? Of- what about the identity of like the skills themselves? Like the fact that you know, like if you like racing a heavy or sort of like slow accelerating character, you'd pick Donkey Kong. Like, I, don't don't the skills sort of mm. pick up their own kind of like? Identity? I think that you, I think that you pick up like. Like the characters that I play in Mario Kart, like I never identify with, but I think I agree with Brennan here that like hmm. you kind of like identify with like who your best character is in Mortal Kombat or like I, how I do in Overwatch. Like you just like you read more into it than like just the skill set. I don't know. Yeah. What are, what are this? Why are the stakes so much higher? Like for identity when there's like realistic blood and guts kind of on the line it's kind of weird it's a weird little yeah i've never thought about it but that's i mean i think you're, you're absolutely right it's uh yeah that's really interesting i don't have an answer for it do you live i i i don't think i have an answer for it but i would like to think about it more yeah did you part two? <laughs> oh, we'd love it um <laughs> but, so Brendan and, and Olivia, I, I think it's really interesting that you guys both um, came at video games as ways to sort of like, I mean, this this makes it sound a lot more pointed than maybe it was, but like, they both seem like ways that you bonded with your brothers. Like there are ways that you sort of like, you found some sort of connection with your brothers, which is fascinating to me because video games were never that for me. Like no one in my family liked them. So it was purely like a, a thing I did and no one else did. Um, I mean, do you think, is is it something that you would never have touched, do you think? And this question is for both of you. If you didn't have that family connection, is that family connection something that was like integral for you actually even getting into it at all? You can go first if you want to. I don't really have a good answer for that. So you go first if you okay. have one. Um, yeah. I think that if my brothers hadn't been into it, then there's, I I have no idea because like I was raised in like a super conservative family and uh, the gender roles were definitely wanted for me. Like my parents never wanted me to play video games. They actively discouraged me from playing video games. 
um, like basically anything my brothers did, they were, they told me like, okay, that's your brother's thing. Like you, you know, you need to do something else. Mm. Um, so like if they, my parents would have never bought me video games if like I had been like an only child or something and been the only girl. Um, just cause like, that's not really what they wanted for me. And like, even still, like whenever I started playing, wow, um, world of Warcraft, Brendan, if, uh, <laughs> if you're not following that, um, <laughs> I, I, unfortunately I do know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Whenever I started playing that, like in high school, um, like my mom really hated that. And then like, even through like college and grad school, like if I ever like resubscribed to the game, my mom called and asked me what I was doing. And if I mentioned that she would just be like, God, Olivia, I really thought you were over this by now, you know, like, so Your mom just never figured out the, the expansion cycle. Mom, no, of course not. They, they put out a new expansion. <laughs> Come on, mom. I can't just stop. <laughs> I have to go back to Azeroth. <laughs> I have to save the world. <laughs> so um, that's interesting that you that you're bringing up the whole the, the, this whole gender modeling issue. I I am noticing now in that light that in my family there were like there was like the time when um, when my grandmother and my sister and my mother would sit on the couch and play Ladybug. Oh yeah, or Cubert. You know these sort of like nicer games and then the boys time was like turbo and zaxxon and um donkey kong although we kind of like there was crossover on donkey kong there was crossover on turbo but there was mostly mostly gender-based video game preference happening in the house Hmm. um and my grandmother and my sister who were kind of are my grandmother was a ch- child of the depression and was sort of like a, I guess what you would call a sort of like uh, Catholic conservative, like with a small mm-hmm. C, like from back in the day. She would, she, I remember her saying to me, well, I think abortion is a sin, but that's no man's choice to make for a woman. You know, she kind of like would, would dig in on on the feminist tip. Um with her dogma intact, you know, oddly. always right. Yeah, sure. So, right. right. So, so she, so she, um, she would kind of steal away with my sister for moments of like car games and Donkey Kong and Zaxxon, which was a little too like obnoxious for them, but they would do it together. But when my mother came, who is, has points of view that would be considered sort of more traditionally conservative, feminine ideals because i was raised in a conservative household as well um they would revert back to the sort of like more flowery and feminine games like like ladybug hmm. and uh cubert um and then i would go and play cubert for a while and my brother would be like come on enough of this shit like a- after after an hour and a half you know, Donkey Kong, you know, like, and it, so there was this, there was a, like a tug of war of the genders in, in over the, over the ColecoVision in 1983 or 84 or whatever the hell it was. Um, probably more like 85 actually, but, but anyway, the, the point being that like, there was this, we were playing out these, no pun intended, <laughs> these, these roles, like, like 
and stumbling across the points in the, in the games that, that offered fun to both, but like challenged the identity a little bit. Like I think Kubert challenged, challenged, uh, you know, conventional sexuality in a lot of ways. Have you ever seen Kubert? You ever watched yeah, it? No, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very, I mean, it's a deeply androgynous character. Like there, and I, like, I, I think it's funny. Cause of course, like if you didn't, if you aren't familiar with the, with the if anyone's listening not familiar with like the the ad copy from those early games like obviously you know like whatever like um uh any of the characters uh from any of the games i'm just like i'm totally blanking on them but like you know it you couldn't tell much about them from the actual like uh image but like you know their their avatars within um the marketing were always like very clearly sort of modeled off of movies and, and, and classic illustration. And Kubert was just like this weird little blob. Right. So like I've noticed my nieces and nephews, now they'll play the Wii mm. sometimes and the tennis in particular, when you, when you draft your character, you're kind of like modeling yourself, you know, if you wear glasses, your character wears glasses, but there's a general androgyny shape to the characters on that. Um, and that seems to be a conscious choice, um, away from the sort of like more, more hyper-realistic, um, you know, uh, halo kind of, you know, person looking graphic or, or even, or even just like, if you go back even further, like Chun-Li was, was sexualized, um, in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And the... I I would love to figure out what that what that is like. Where is that line where where the video game identity that you're picking is is like becomes ventures into adult content? It starts to merge into like adult content because it's video games are supposed to be for kids, sort oh, yeah. of, right? At like least, initially, at least also for kids, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> No, but no, like their inception wasn't. It wasn't really for adults. It's right? a good question. Um, I don't know. I think they started as a toy, but like I think fairly early on, like people kind of like hoped that it could be more than just like a toy. Um, that it could tell a story too. That it wasn't just like purely for like I don't know, like entertainment watching, but like that you could get something out of it and maybe like learn something from it in the same way that you would learn something from you know a movie yeah. or music or and the whatever. sexualization i think started kind like of early because like you get stuff like um i think this might be like the second podcast in a row i'm referencing this game which is a real shame but uh <laughs> something like uh, uh <laughs> custer's revenge did you ever see that game was that a, a no, no yeah it's not no. a game that like it basically it's just it's a it's a nightmare game it's like just it's a well, you hmm? i keep going no Sorry. it's just like it's a it's a <laughs> Basically, it's just a, a you are a a sort of like Custer like cowboy, and there's a, a nude uh, Native American woman, um, and like I don't actually even know the mechanics of the game, but it was like the earliest version of like a quote unquote pornographic game, um, and I think like that came out of probably like people getting excited about Pong, and then like you know you get interested enough in like Pong or. Uh, parlor games you want to make them kind of like pg-13 like it's sort of like the uh the cards against humanity syndrome yeah yeah well i just i 
I don't know that it even needs to be like sexualized in that way where it looks like where it looks pornographic. Like even something like Donkey Kong, where you're like the whole point of the game is to like rescue Pauline mm. and it's like you're there. I mean, there's still like some sort of sexual component there where it's like you're rescuing this woman from like, I don't know, some predator like, the, you know, that's still sexualized. I think I don't think that's supposed to be like completely. I don't that's know. That's a good point. Have you guys. um do you guys know my friend MC yeah. Front a lot? You should talk to him. He showed me like because he's really into video games and um, he, uh, you know, he's always trying to get me to play like the grander sort of like Red Dead Red, uh, Red Dead Redemption stuff and like like bigger games that are more involved and take longer and um, lots of killing and real real blood and guts and things. And I like early on. I, one of the things that actually pushed me away from video games was like my grandmother was horrified by Mortal Kombat. Like, and I don't mean, I don't mean she was, you know, she thought we shouldn't do it. She was like, she thought that this was the end of the world. Like, she was like, this is, this is going to lead. People are going to, you know, she was really terrified, genuinely. And um, whatever she grew up in, as with her brother going to world war ii and whatever else informed her that way you know like she thought that this was not stuff you should toy around with you know the notion of being able to like virtually eviscerate somebody um and i i think i've always had a little bit of a streak of like even though raiden is my favorite character and i can kick ass and stuff there's always this kind of like queasiness when i walk away from like especially halo when when in the 90s when like my post-college years, people were in their first apartment were having Halo and insisting on like marathon eight-hour fucking sessions of Halo. And and it just made me seasick. Like it really did. Like it was just like, oh my God, I can't take this. If I see this fucking laser scope one more time, like get away from me, you know? Um, And then around that time, uh, (laughs) or like, well, quite a few years later, I should say, um, MC Frontalot showed me Journey, uh, the PlayStation game, which is, okay. which is this really beautiful, like yeah, pleasant, like, game. Uh, like philosophical, you know, <laughs> quest. Uh, uh, I don't really know even what that game is about. Like, I still, I never finished it with him or anything. I just, I just was mesmerized by it and really enjoyed it. So, you know, I think that there is a lot of room for art in in the toy. You know, like mature art in the toy, um, and. And I just think that the the uh, it not being a toy for some people means it's like I'm getting my frustrations out. I'm like I'm like killing and and doing mm-hmm. stuff and like yeah, the world of war like war way that's yeah. not uh, necessarily healthy. I think that I think that's fair that like some people use them in that way. Yeah, but I think yeah. that there's like a push yeah. towards. Especially like in the past couple of years that there's been more games that I think would be more along the lines of what you would like that are that are more just like story based and um, not 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 violent at all. And then also not really like realistic graphics or anything, which I don't really I don't care about. Um, I think like as graphics get more realistic it's honestly harder to get immersed in them just because like i feel like a toy in the world like i don't feel like like there's nothing left to imagine um Mm -hmm. so like i'd honestly rather play a game that wasn't as realistic looking yeah 
It'd be really interesting to hear uh, to to put you in conversation with uh, with friend of the show Scott Benson, who did um, who did Night in the Woods, which is basically like in many ways a response to a response from people who love video games to the changing nature of video games. Like it, it it's clearly a love letter to a particular style of video game that it is not. Like the game isn't violent. The game is very peaceful very non-realistic and it's just kind of like a story about growing up um in a in a kind of falling apart town i i I think i agree with olivia i think like a lot of people are really keying into that um i don't know what to call it like that style of narrating the the idea that like it's really important to um produce something that isn't necessarily just the next grimdark like (laughs) triple a franchise <laughs> something yeah that that's not has like, like a kind of from soul. other people but like you relate to it and like you know that it relates to other people and that it's some sort of common ground yeah well i mean i think my grandmother would have loved journey like i don't think she would have understood it necessarily not as a cultural like development um if you could call it that but like i i think that um it's interesting to know like i guess i guess everything's headed towards some vr version you know all of this oh i just started using vr and my my persistent headaches really that wow still has a way to tell me about that yeah it's tough dude if you get if you get any kind of uh motion sickness vr is uh i feel like it's been around for long enough now that if it was going to be like ubiquitous like it would have already kind of push to that level but is it just that thing that it doesn't emulate real life enough yet is that all it's very real that's the that's the weird thing about it it was extremely effective in being real when i was when i was using it it, it kind of it's a little scary but it it's just it's it's such a do you remember going to like dave and busters i remember um, chuck e cheese you ever go to like uh, those kind of yeah. places where they had the v yeah, sure. Um, like places like that would have um, VR things sometimes. And it would be fun because, like, you know, basically you just got to get strapped in and they had the whole thing set up or whatever. Um, VR is basically, like, the whole thing is motion censored and it's, like, you have to have everything set up in exactly the right way. It would be, like, if you if – for some, if somehow you, like, ran into, like, a an audio file who was, like, the, the wave of the future is uh, – my extremely good speakers that have to be on exactly level ground and you have to be sitting directly in the middle of, um, you want to say to them like, well, I'm not so sure. And that's kind of how I feel. It's about too VR. sensitive. It's, like, this it's is too like, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it, there's nothing. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's too sensitive. It's just like, it's not, it's not a home entertainment thing. It's like a, it's more something that you would just enjoy in like a, I guess VR it kind of makes you realize how much that. like, our actual bodies kind of protect us from the world because we expect things to be like able to be dropped on the floor and like pick it up and use it again, you know? And I, I use a lot of delicate, sensitive instruments in in every way. And they're all handcrafted, you know, things that are really special to me. You can't drop them. Like there's no dropping the guitar. Like you can't do that. And, and it's a, 
<laughs> no, well, not. I mean, if you want to, the in the Dottist, you know, tradition, you, you could. But, um, but I, I like, I bump into people sometimes who are completely ignorant of the concept of a delicate instrument, and that's fine. It's not their thing. Fair enough. Totally. Mm. But like, uh, like I've had those people grab my guitar off of like a stand and like, hey, what's this? You know. And it's like, ah, 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 what are you doing? You know, <laughs> stop. You have my whole life in your hands. You don't even know it. Um, and what I think what I'm kind of, I think what I'm picking up is, is like, if VR is this delicate instrument at this point, maybe it is just niche. Like maybe it's like, cause not everybody has a, like, a really like sensitive yeah. guitar that if you bang it around, it's going to be, it's not going to be intonated anymore. And that's what you're saying. You're, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah, a little bit. And like it's it it's a thing where you it's have like to organize like, your living room around it, huh? I'll put it this way, like Yeah, you have to organize your living room around it, that's right. And then you also have to like if you draw put it this way, like if you get used to playing a guitar or get used to playing any sort of like serious instrument, right? You get used to the quirks of it where it's like, oh yeah, if you drop your pick, here's what you should do, or like here's what a capo is, or like, oh, if it's out of tune, here's what you do. Like it, there's there's all sorts of stuff that you just eventually take for granted. And like the stuff that you have to learn when you're doing VR is like is truly like stuff that you never do with your body. Like, oh, I dropped the remote, uh, or I dropped the, the controller I'm using. Um, but I'm in a VR world and can't see the controller because this particular game doesn't do the controller shadow that my Oculus usually does. I guess I'm just going to have to take my virtual reality headset off and break my brain because now I'm not immersed and find it on the floor. And then, so the question I have about that now is who are the people who are like, finally I get to set up my room around the VR, like who have, I have a I have a creepy <laughs> and honest yeah, answer. There's and like knowing the capitalist <laughs> answer. Yes, like that's the capitalist really answer behind VR. Wait, what is it? I'm sorry, I missed I missed it. But the, the porn, yeah. Oh, okay. Porn. Wow. I mean, it's just like that's that's like that's they will make so much money off of that. Like that makes sense. I'm, I was still that, trapped in like, Mario Kart land and wasn't there. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure that's coming oh, next. Yeah, no, is no, like no, the combination of those two things. Oh no! Oh no! 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 Well, I don't want to be judgmental. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you judge that. But like, no, I think you could be judgmental. But like, I think yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that's exactly right. Because I mean, truly, I talked to one of my one of my friends uh, from the show who um, who actually was at the live show. I, I finally got to meet him. Um, was working on uh or no that wasn't him it was a different guy but like I've, I've spoken to a bunch of people who have been working on vr stuff um and what they always tell me is like yeah look like i definitely work on vr stuff and i'm trying it but this industry is a dead end for video games and like no one can seem to make a, a, a can, like a cons- no one can make the mario of vr let me say that like there's no vr game that people are like yeah you got to get a vr well, system I- to play this like no one cares <laughs> they've made scott Skyrim VR, and they're like, yeah, all right. It must be <laughs> I don't think that people want that. Like, like in the current climate, I don't think that people are seeking out new reasons to be separated from each other. Whereas, like, I feel like video games did do that in the past, where they like you separated yourself more. And I feel like it's more about like the interconnection now. Like, people want to play with each other, and you know. So I don't. Think that- well, maybe 
what if the what if it's just the fact that that's such a short circuit of the imagination is like is just too abrupt like the technology is on an exponentially increasing curve yeah so we have like like before we know it the the thing can do the thing you know the and and sure just like imagination is part of mario kart and it's part of even the shitty et game you know so you're you're short-circuiting your imagination for this for 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 vr uh to happen like sensorily i guess you could say no you absolutely are yeah it's it's so I'll, i'll give you an example like it is amazing uh, the the opening thing on Oculus was the best thing I saw on, on VR. Like it was absolutely the most immersive thing. And the reason it was cool, was, this is kind of funny. It was like basically it teaches you how to use it, right? Um, so you 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 load into the VR and it it uh, it you know you set the whole thing up and it gives you this uh, this robot in like a basically sort of like an avatar style like you know, space jungle world. And you're in there, you're in this place, like this lab with this robot. And the robot is basically like, you know, you have to call to it and you can throw things and you can touch things. And it's, it's showing you how to open and close the the hands that you have for your controllers. And like, that's cool. But then the robot, you know, you eventually call it over and it's not shy about you anymore. It's this cute little robot. And it gives you these discs and you can create things with the discs. So like the action of putting a disc in the drive is neat, but then really what's cool is that like, Oh, I put this disc in the drive and it created this really neat, like polygon butterfly that I can watch fly around the room. And it's like, that's not realistic. Like that's just, that's just full sensory imagination. There's nothing like, it's not that I'm enjoying this because, Oh wow, that butterfly looks like it's really in my room. I'm enjoying it because the butterfly is like imaginative and fun looking and like whimsical. And also I can look behind me. I and think see that's it. Cool. Right. So yeah, no, it was super neat. But it was like exactly. I mean, it was just the tutorial. It, it was over before it started, pretty much. So it's it's it doesn't sound like it tops the waking dream sensation. Like, no, like I don't think no, people want to really. be on the rails with games. I mean, that's not fair. I, a lot of people do like games that are on the rails, but I feel like VR is that in a way that's not as I don't know fun to me at least. When you say on the rails, you you kind of like the metaphor yeah, a, of like being on a roller coaster, like immersed in the movement of things. Is that what yeah, you and mean? like you're like on a set direction, like you don't really have much like creative control over the world. You're just kind of like right. you're just kind of experiencing stuff happening around you without being and necessarily an active participant or you know having too much control. So over it. so so how do you trigger that lucid dreaming like? realization where uh, has it happened to you guys it happens to me very seldom but uh, but it has happened where i'll be just in the right kind of like kind of sleep zone where i realize i'm dreaming and kind of take it over and do whatever i want in it um and most of the time i just fly you know yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the first thing is like i could do this i could just well let me fly first you know <laughs> and 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 that's that mo it's not so much the fact that you actually get to fly as it is this like okay i'm in i can i can god this like i can completely do whatever i want right now cuz it's a dream and and i can figure it out and i'll figure it out and it's it's weird kind of like uh in like creative loop that you can get in that i've gotten into 
And it's like I said, it's really quite rare for me. Like maybe once every five years or so, a truly lucid dream happens, you know, that you can remember anyway. I don't typically mm-hmm. like um, that. It's yeah. usually like I'll be doing something in a dream and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is like one of my recurring dreams. Like I've done this before or like sometimes it'll be like horrific dreams and I'm like, oh my God, I remember having nightmares about this before and now it's happening for real. Like, so like that's how I think about my, you know, like sometimes I can like separate out from the dream, but I don't know that I necessarily have full control ever in them. But they're dark, they're dark dreams. Not always. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I have a recurring dream about a very narrow, or I should say shallow house that's also very tall. And there's like, I've written a few lyrics about this. Um, There's like something really upsetting about, we all know everyone who's in it is playing a board game on on the first floor, but there's like a murder has happened upstairs and nobody wants to admit that the murder has happened and just kind of playing the board game, but we all know that it happened. It's very and cool. It's wow. like, it, it's, it's a, really a kind of a, it's, this, it's, it's almost like, um, I always often feel like it's the sensation of like, who's going to say that this is fucked up. Like somebody needs to say, I feel like we're talking about our politics right now, but like <laughs> who the f- who the fuck is going to say oh, that this always. is not acceptable? Like we have to somebody stand up and say this. And there's that tension almost forever in the dream. Um, and then, of course, rather than say there's been a murder upstairs, we need to call the police and we need to do something. I go upstairs to make sure that I'm right about it. And that leads to like the worst, like it never ends well. It's always so much scarier. It gets much scarier as you go upstairs the floors of the house turn into like, you know, more and more abandoned, more and more secret, like stuff nobody wants to talk about and shit. And I, 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 I've had that dream over and over again for many, many years. Um, and it's like, like you said, Olivia, like it's not in my control, but I know I'm in it, but it's not in my control at all. And I don't know if it's cause I don't want to control that dream Cause I'd rather that be somebody else's <laughs> shit, you know, like, like there's, there's other people in it. Like I'll prefer to think that I'm in your head, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know what you mean by having a dream. You understand is a dream, but you can't, you, it's not in, in control, not in control of that shit. I know that. I know that feeling it sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I hate to, I hate to, I hate to take, I hate to take it this way, but that would make a, uh, Make a killer video. <laughs> it would, or just like, it would, I mean, like even just like a like a tabletop board game, like that would. I mean, that rules. That's nice. Yeah, that's a good it, idea. Super interesting. I mean, like I wouldn't want to dream it, but like I don't want to play it. Yeah, the song with the song we have about it is called "Dream About the Devil." Um, that's that's the song. Um, it's on it's on our fourth record, I think, or fifth record. I can't remember, but. Um, yeah, it's a it's a this sort of like dirgy Louisiana like kind of swamp blues thing that I did where this had the girls sing out of tune like really almost out completely out of tune, and it was, oh, I was yeah. like frustrating them trying to get them to understand that no 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 this is supposed to sound really disturbing and like worry worryful you know if that's not even a word but that's sweet um but yeah yeah um but anyway. 
can I can I get you to talk about about the band? I know you have to. You probably have to go soon because I know you are going on. Yeah, actually, uh, what I have to do soon is go to bed because I have to wake up really early and vote. Yeah. Oh, is that? How- <laughs> <laughs> kidding, I hadn't man. heard of hadn't heard about that, but uh, <laughs> I guess I'll check it out tomorrow. Welcome, welcome to <laughs> democracy. <laughs> Um, no, uh, yeah, no, I, I have to actually do the same thing. Um, but I wanted to ask about, about the band, uh, real quick, sure. because, you know, like there's, I was listening to some of the, the new stuff today. Um, I basically, I told, I told my Alexa to play, uh, to play Weedus and then it played this song called weed. Wait, um, what's, what's it called? What? It's just called weed. weed? Um, not by you. Oh no, that's by, not us. by some other yeah, not you, but like it just it, it thought I said play weed. Um, so I had, to, I had to tell it something. I had to, I had to correct to correct it. I said no, 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 play songs by Weetus. Uh, once, I, once I enunciated in that bizarre way, uh, it started playing the correct songs, um, and I was I was kind of taken. It, it was it was a really cool. I mean, it was different. It was different, obviously, than Teenage Dirtbag, which is the song I I have most experienced by you guys. Sure. Um, so like I was wondering especially after you were describing that dirge, which sounds like a really fun sort of uh, world inferno friendship society meets Tom Waits uh, kind of moment. <laughs> um, like what, how would you like, what, what is, what is like the band, the band to you these days? Like, what is your, what is your like musical mission? Like how, do, how would you, how do you think about the band? How do you sort of describe it to others? Um, there, yes, sir. Go, oh, no, go ahead, Olivia. What were we going to say? I was just gonna say, like, Please. listening to the new single, like, it sounded very dreamy to me, like, like, uh, kind of like the same kind of in between liminal space kind of dreaminess. I You're don't talking know. about Lullaby, but, uh, the song Lullaby. Yeah. Um. Well. Okay. okay so. Uh, so I was listening to Tipsy earlier, and that that also was kind of dreamy in a, in a different sort of more disturbing way. Yeah. Tipsy. Tipsy's kind of. Oh, okay. So. Um. Uh. The 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 musical goal. Uh, is is two there are two of them um in this in making records i really want to find uh something new to do you know like never never ever ever get into not the same kick drum sound not the same snare drums and i can never never repeat anything and try and but that's informed by the process of like coming up with a goal like lullaby is the stated goal before even the song was written i wanted to see if I could make something that was kind of like uh, built like uh, somewhere over the rainbow or one of those sort of like 1940s um, jazz standards or 30, 1930s jazz standards um, that had that, that had that like it was complex and really lush harmonies that were odd, but was still a pop tune because those were pop tunes back then. Um, and and make it with the kind of sounds that like Metallica and Primus would wind up using, like those tone, those tonalities, those intense like layered, like thick, you know, um, distortions and stuff. Um, also, I'm a big fan of the band Helmet. Uh, I don't know if you know them. Great band. They're kind of like the 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 only like post hardcore straight edge, uh, like angular like art rock band that swings you know like they've they have a lot of swing to them um and i wanted to create something that was like puffy and 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 grinding but that had that was a like a true four-part uh vocal harmony um 
where the girls were kind of louder than I was and was, was right up there on the sort of like, like I said, like the, um, somewhere over the rainbow tip on the melody. And, you know, it was an experiment. It was just a straight, straight experiment. I don't know if it worked or not. I listen to it sometimes and I think I like it. And I listen to it other times. And I'm like, what is this fucking shit? Like, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, but um, that's, that's the newest stuff. That's part of uh, album seven that we're working on. Um, and the other goal is to be the band that can do all these things live without um, any tricks. Yeah. Um, not that I have anything against playback. We use some playback. Like we have some loops and things that we play to. I think it's like maybe 10 of our songs in a 70 song catalog have like background loops and, and little sound effects that are played along to a click. And then the rest of it is just off the click. Um, it's the, yeah, like it's a, it's a, it's a duality of goal. It's like find some kind of crazy new experiment hybrid that we, that's really appealing and then struggle to become the band that can do it, you know? Cool. Um, and we're also in the midst of re-recording our first album. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. So the, 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 the multi-track masters to our first album are like officially lost. Um, I sent four copies, uh, out to various remixing guys in like the year 2000 at the behest of our label. And they never came back to me. Those sets of tapes never were returned. That was four copies uh-huh. of the entire record. And then the fifth final copy, that was the master copy that I was making them from, uh, had to be shipped while I was on tour, literally had to ask my mother to go under the bed and pull out the last four tapes and send them to our A&R guy. And they never came back. So yeah. Um, yeah, maybe somebody has them somewhere, but, um, but like the vocal for teenage dirtbag is lost. Um, uh, I have uh, a generation prior to finishing the record of tapes that still kind of works has the tempos has the drums and bass and guitar on it but doesn't have the finishing elements really um mm. so we've been kind of like modeling that to to recreate some of the the because ma- i want to have a set of masters for that like it feels really weird and i can still sing it so i kind of feel like let's do this now with the 20th anniversary coming um in 2020 and then over the years there have been all of these songs that I've written that kind of felt like they were first album bites that I just didn't want to do anything with because that was that suck mm-hmm. that idea sucked. We're going to put them on this reissue and it's going to be a twenty song album. So cool. We're doubling the size of it uh, twenty years after the fact, and it's the twentieth anniversary, and it's twenty twenty songs, and you know, whatever. Um, and it's in twenty twenty. It's happening because our first record came out in two thousand. So um that's really cool yeah it's all these 20s happening descending upon us and that's kind of an ongoing project in the background and we just um we just moved our studio uh to another place in new york city um from where we've been for a long time and out on long island we're we're migrating everything uh, right before we go on tour (laughs) so um good time yeah everything's really up in the air man it's crazy you should see where i'm sitting right now there's like posters on the floor next to my laundry uh next to some drum heads and uh i think there's like a sandwich somewhere in here that's been sitting around um 
So yeah, it's rock and roll. <laughs> kind of, kind of is rock and roll, I guess. Stinky, funky rock and roll. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're a seven piece now. Um, keyboards, I play guitar and sing. Bass player, drummer, um, and three girls on the backing vocals. Um, and the goal with them is to try and like really flush out like loud backing vocals, you know, like all the time. Um, and they play some percussion as well. Um, so as a seven piece, it's a little bit of a challenge to hit the road, you know. Um, but I bet. we're doing, I think we're doing like 25 dates in, in England uh, starting the day after tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, uh, geez, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, and then we have another tour coming up in April. Uh, we're probably going to do a, uh, a short run in the northeast um you guys are the kind of like we're not supposed to talk about this but we're playing the 25th anniversary of the mercury lounge uh in april um oh very that's cool. the club we, we wow. were signed there back in uh, 1999 we kind of like had our show where somebody saw us there you know um and uh yeah so it's, it's all it's i can't believe we're still alive to be honest a band like us should be long since perished and gone and i think because we we downsized so severely after the major label thing we never actually i should be honest with that we never upsized you know because we kind of were like mm. it was we were only on the major label for like a like like i think it was like 16 months or something ridiculous like that wow and um so we didn't get to the point where we were in first class or had our own bus or like any of that stuff we well you know and so getting home from tour and selling everything on ebay so you can pay your taxes is kind of like that's like it like that's always been like that you know um this is incredible to me that you've like made this song that's like so important to like everyone from like me and Trevor's generation like that's so crazy well like so I should I shouldn't say that I'm not saying that we're broke I'm saying that I reinvest everything in the salaries of the people who I play with so I can have a band because nice I want a band I've wanted a band forever I would sell my last uh pair of shoes to to keep my band you know um when I was 10 years old and I saw Angus Young on TV I was like I want to be in a band. <laughs> like I just, I, there's nothing else that's as important to me as that. So uh, however we do it, whatever we have to, you know, rebuild or reconstitute or, you know, um, to, to save money to, so that everyone knows they have a job moving forward. That's what we do. That's really cool. Yeah. So um, where can people find you? What, where can people look up your stuff? I mean, I have a million questions, but I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to keep a man up who has to uh, who has to go on tour soon. <laughs> well, we can uh, we can so have a we can have a it? we can have a recap when we get back from tour if you'd like. We'll get Damien, get MC Frontalot in here to talk if you'd like. But um, well, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, well, I will one hundred percent hold you to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, that'd be um, great. Well, we're back. Uh, we're back. Like I'll be I'll be alive and well able to talk after like December tenth. So let's let's okay. uh, let's shoot cool. for that. But um, great. Uh, so you can find us, I, me personally, the only social media that I kind of feel comfortable in is Twitter and it's just at Weedus. That's mostly me, like 90% of the time that's me. Um, 
And then uh, Joey, one of our backing vocalists, she handles our Instagram, uh, which is, I think, at Weedis Official. Um, and then Facebook, uh, you know, sorry, Mark, I just don't do it. <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't. It's the, you know, but, but our, our Facebook page is, is uh, just Weedis. And um, uh, I uh, also, uh, what else do we have? Oh, the Patreon thing you mentioned before. Uh, patreon.com forward slash weedis is uh we set up cameras in our rehearsal studio and we like we have fun like we kind of like we let's let's play a new wave version of this of teenage dirtbag you know like let's see what a new wave version sounds like with 16 notes and stuff so we take challenges from people who want us to do strange things like that and and um in our rehearsal we'll dedicate an hour to like broadcasting that kind of thing um, oh, there's cool. also guitar lessons on there and piano lessons. Brandon, our keyboard player, um, has this really, <laughs> he's really good at turning our sort of like grittier compositions into like really soft, like meandering lounge jazz stuff. So he, <laughs> he does that. Um, yeah, that's, just uh, it's just kind of like a window into our strange little, like, uh, shack that we work in, uh, here on Long Island. And, um, and that's that's where you find us at our most sort of like un unpretending <laughs> cool yeah well uh Liv, do you have any last questions no no last questions but i do want to let you know like if you ever want to like go full gamer and use the i'm just a teenage loot box <laughs> you are give you a full creative rights to that wow that's big i mean because we've been wow. doing We've been getting lots of calls from uh, from A and R's, and you know all sorts of people wanting wanting the rights for that. So that that's huge. No, that is that's all yours now. <laughs> that's my gift to you. <laughs> well, so the, here's the thing about that. I have been playing that song for so long, and it's not easy to play. It's one of our harder tunes to do because it has this kind of like Motowny shuffle from the waist down, but then from the waist up, it's like a Metallica song at times, and the, then it's James Taylor, you know. It's a yeah. hard song to concentrate on and get the parts right so that people recognize the song that they love. So I have uh, recently uh, the Irish television station came over and had me do a version in Gaelic and they kind of <laughs> they coached me through it like phonetically because my grandmother spoke Gaelic, but I, do, I don't, not a word. So um, it was this like, I was, it was total out of body experience because the way that I do the lyrics in that are so autopilot with my guitar playing that, you know, back when we were on Sony, they would be like, Oh, can you just cut out the, the dick and the gun part and, uh, shorten the third verse a little bit. And I'd be like, I can say yes to you, but it's not going to happen. You know, cause it's like, it's this thing that I've practiced for such a long time. You can't tell me to change. Like I can't change it, you know? Um, right. Uh, it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I fucking can't. So, um, like, if, if, uh, can you please record yourself <laughs> doing it so I can have an example? I don't. I don't think that I feel comfortable recording. I'm a teenage loot box. See, but you, you, but you would feel comfortable asking me to do that, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you know what? You have a bright future at a record label somewhere. <laughs> no, Olivia, I'm not you can do it. You, you have to do. You can totally do it. Come, please, please. I won't. I won't. I won't show anybody. 
I just want that <laughs> so I can so as you can fire up the original single and just sing over my lyric as hard as you can. Just a little clip, like whatever, <laughs> 30 seconds, because I need to learn this. Uh-huh. All right? <laughs> I, yeah, you're I gonna... agree. I think you should do it. I don't know. I think this is a slippery slope to you becoming like a full gamer. It's and a slippery I don't, I don't know that I want to feel responsible for that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's it's a rabbit hole that's leading to me and MC Frontalot doing it together the next time we're on your podcast. Oh, boy. There oh, you go. my hey. gosh. <laughs> Well, now because now he, he has bars for Teenage Dirtbag that he does when he tours with us. Does he? Oh yeah, he jumps up for oh, verse wow. three and he does like a, a tight sixteen. All right, then we got. Okay. Now I'm <laughs> now I'm bound to this. Now you're locked in. <laughs> See what you did? See? Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on, man. This has been so fun. Oh, I, thanks I, for having me. You guys, I could probably talk to you all night and be super tired, but um, but thank you for thinking of us and for reaching out and all that, you know? Of course, of course. It's our pleasure. Um, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, as, I, as I was saying to Liv, I'm releasing this one free so people get, a, get an idea for it. And um, obviously, if you like it, uh, this is kind of what After Dark is. Check it out. Uh, listen to more. And uh, and go follow go follow uh, Olivia at Spooky Oolong and go follow oh, cool. uh, Weedus at Weedus. Yeah, yeah, let's all follow each other. And make sure that you kind of, like, bother me when you're ready for this to go out so I can get it up on our shit, too. So, cause, you got it. Um, yeah, I might. Is, you think that'll be soon? Because I might be on tour and, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll probably be pretty soon. But, uh, I mean, I can try. I mean, I can. When are you? Well, we can figure this out. But, like, I'll, I'll let you know once I have it up for sure. Don't be afraid to spam. Before. Don't be afraid to spam me on it. It's fine. Spam, spam my Twitter account and we'll and we'll I'll notice it and then we'll do it. OK, yeah, I just I was about to ask, like, oh, can you do it while you're on tour? And then I remembered that uh, you can do everything mobile now. Um, it's not 2000. We, we were just stuck in it so long or talking about that so long that I went back in time. Well, in the UK, it's it gets a little bit complicated still when you're over in England. Um, you know, you have to have the, you get a SIM card or whatever, but it's not your phone number. And then if it's not your SIM card, it's hard to log into stuff and, you know, whatever. But, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to log into stuff because you don't remember your fucking passwords like me. That's what the problem. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, just pester me on, on Twitter and I'll, I'll see it and we'll go, we'll roll, roll it out. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, talk to you soon all right thanks guys yeah have a great night and have a great time on tour yeah Yeah. thank you i'll I'll, we'll we'll speak again soon take care good luck with everything thanks man all right bye-bye bye bye